visit geoal.com and learn how GeoAL implements next-generation intelligence advancement technologies to aid the Department of Defense with precision and expertise analysis. <laughs> GeoAL, the new era of intelligence. Welcome to the Veteran Business Collective Podcast. I'm Avery Washington, and I'm joined by Nick Smith, the founder and CEO of GOL. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you having me. All right. Glad to have you on the VBC podcast. So let's get into it. I'm ready. Where are you from, Nick? <laughs> How did we get to this point? How did we get here? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, so originally from uh, Florida, okay. grew up in the Tampa Bay area, and um, I joined the military when I was 18, mm -hmm. you know, not too long after September 11th. And then um, when I finished my time in the military after a fun excursion to Iraq, I uh, went to uh, UNCW, University okay. of North Carolina, Wilmington, and uh, I just love the area. So. Absolutely. Uh, you know, continued on with my professional career in the military intelligence space. And then when I had a chance to bring my company back here after I started my company, uh, I just hopped on it because I love the area so much. It's a nice small town community, but there's still plenty to do. You have the beach, you have the nice downtown. I know we got this cool photo right here behind Absolutely. us. Um, and after living in some other large cities, I can tell you that it's just nice being somewhere where the pace of life is slowed down. Traffic isn't really a thing here. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's laughable. We so. like to complain, but drive to D.C. Yeah, go to D.C., <laughs> go to Atlanta, go to L.A. That's traffic. This mm -hmm. is, you know, waiting five minutes for a light. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not saying that so that you come down here because definitely stay where you're at. Um, <laughs> we're getting plenty of people, uh, plenty of population growth down here from mainly from retirees. But, um, you know, it's just a great area to live in and raise a family so absolutely all right well you came in with the cliff notes so we'll we'll jump back a little bit and all right so one i have a question in joining the military right when i joined i was dropping out of college mm -hmm. and i basically thought we would just be painting our faces and rolling off of zodiacs yep. and slaying rock monsters or did you have an idea of what you would be getting yourself into or was it just I'm doing this we'll find out I had no idea I mean my concept I mean forget about did I know what I was doing my whole concept of what the military was was completely off mm -hmm. and I think I think a lot of young people in their teens and maybe a little older um, they have a very skewed perspective of what the military is and I'm no different right I mean certainly my I thought it was a thousand people doing what you were just talking about, painting their faces and running around the woods. <laughs> it's just not true, right? Um, yeah, I mean, when when I first arrived and I saw two thousand people in a formation, I was like, "What's this? Is this everyone?" You know. Um, <laughs> but you quickly learn and adapt um, to how you know things work in the military, totally. and uh, I have to say, it's been the best decision I've ever made. So um, to this day, you know, get to do so, cool things like participate in the VBC podcast because so, of it. Yeah. So what did you do while you were in? Yeah, I was uh, an imagery analyst. Okay. So in the Army, the military occupational specialty is, um, right now it's 35 Gulf. It used to be 96 Delta when I was in. Okay. So um, did I have an idea of what that was? No. I, I had the person at MEPS was like, do you want to do this? They look at satellites. Like, they look at satellites? Oh, that sounds cool. And then they're like, okay, do you want to be airborne? I'm like, what's that? Mm -hmm. Oh, they jump out of planes. Sure, that sounds cool when you're oh, that's awesome. 18. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Um, if you combine those two, intelligence and airborne, you really only can be stationed at one location, and that's beautiful, lovely center of the universe, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Okay. So Nice. So you did get to go to airborne. Yeah, that's I, awesome. I got to go there. Yeah, I fell out of that plane a few times, and um, I had a few jumps while I was in. Uh, have the <laughs> hurt knees to <laughs> to vouch for that. 
Um, but it was definitely a cool experience. And certainly, um, man, after my first jump, though, I thought I hit, I hit really hard that first jump, like really hard. And I was I was like freaking out for the second jump. And the second jump, I landed like you know, nice soft. And I was like, okay, this isn't so bad. And then so, anyways, um, continued that throughout the military until I got out. Nice. I've I've heard a lot of people, well, Marines that go refer to attending Airborne as Marine Corps Appreciation School. <laughs> Most people I've met have said that, but I've met a few that just really enjoyed it, which was a unique perspective. <laughs> right. Oh, they say that because it's easy. Um, I think they just found it's, the interaction with, uh, because normally Marines go when they're more senior. Right, right. And so when dealing with the junior soldiers, they find the interaction different mm -hmm. than if they were dealing with their junior marines right so they just kind of think what is wrong here <laughs> it's, it's a different dynamic so it's interesting to yeah see. i mean it's an it's an army run school mm -hmm. so um there's obviously going to be some different nuances between the Marine Corps and the army yeah um but i thought it was a great experience and part mm -hmm. of that was because i got to hang out with some marine some air force people mm -hmm. and navy people people in other services and I realized that okay, this is there's a lot more to this than even I you know definitely I knew at that point. So. And it's different cultures, which is what what makes them unique is also what gives them the unique capability, right? Mm -hmm. And and the things that foster it are going to require different interactions among their ranks and within their practices. So that's right. awesome. So you retired, correct? No, I did not retire. Did not retire. Okay. No, no, no. Um, I did four years active and then three in the reserves. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, I fast-forwarded 20 years in that. So <laughs> Thank that's you. even better, right? Is that how old I look? Is that what's happening here? No. I just assumed you <laughs> aged really well. <laughs> so right. with that, what, what made you decide to transition out of the military? Yeah, so um, if if you're a recruiter, you probably want to turn this part off. Um, or, if, or if you're looking, I am to, not. if you're if you're looking to join the military, you probably want to turn this part <laughs> off. Um, the military is a big behemoth, bureaucratic organization. Mm -hmm. With any big organization, things lapse, right? Mm -hmm. Standards fall on the edges, and things like that. I always felt that the people that stayed in the military were the people that didn't really have a choice. And what I mean by that is um, I felt at the time that the best people weren't staying in as enlisted. Like, and I was an enlisted mm -hmm. guy. Um, I think about it a little bit differently now. I do think there are some fantastic mm -hmm. career military people, certainly. Um, but the way that I felt when I was, you know, at that E5, E4 <laughs> rank <clears throat> was that the, there, there had to be more uh, opportunity on the you know outside of the the military, um, I just felt like not the best people stayed in, and and I didn't want to be one of those people, and that was that was a main driver for me. Plus, I I, I joined um, when I was eighteen because I wanted to um, have something to do afterwards. I, that's why I picked the career that I picked um, because I wanted to have a job afterwards. I wanted to have a something Certainly. to look forward to. Um, and then on top of that, you know, throughout my time in service, I did the GI Bill. I did the new GI Bill when that came around, um, you know, so that, you know, I had an investment in that to go to school. So that's what I did. So, one, I can definitely understand what you're saying because I can recall when I was in and there were there were the select few senior leaders that you really wanted to see go to those most influential <laughs> right. positions, mm -hmm. right? That guy become the company ops chief or this guy become the battalion commander or a two-star or wherever. And then you would slowly see them sift out, right? Or mm -hmm. they'd even get the rank and get buried away somewhere right. relative with relatively little influence. And after seeing a pattern of that, you'd start to think, this isn't quite panning out the way I'd hoped, never mind, mm -hmm. I would expect. I, I think, w 
when you seem to clearly observe who most people regard as the most capable leaders not be put in the positions mm -hmm. that they are most capable of relative to their peers, right. I can definitely understand how that can be a little disheartening. I always, always say in the military, <clears throat> you'll definitely learn two things. You'll definitely learn what a really good leader looks like, mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, if, you will run into fantastic leaders. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that is you will definitely experience what poor leadership looks like. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't been a part of an organization of any sort, whether that's, you know, if you haven't had a job in a big company or <clears throat> whatever, you might not know why that matters, right? Why Certainly. leadership is so important. Um, but in the military, you'll definitely experience both sides of that coin. And I felt when I got out, like I knew what good leadership looked like and I felt that I could, you know, um, that I possessed some of the qualities that I'd like to see in, in leaders and I didn't need to spend eight years in a <laughs> waiting on some list to come out to tell me that my rank was good enough to be a leader. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, So with, with that though, with transitioning, do you remember some of the challenges that you faced when you were deciding to leave active service? Yeah, so I left right after I got back from Iraq. Okay. And I wanted to go to school at uh, UNCW and get and use the job bill that I invested in. So for me, um, I would say that the transition was to college. So, you know, a little bit easier um, transition than like poof, you're out in the world, right, with, mm -hmm. with nothing. So I had something to look forward to. I had a, a mission to accomplish, so to speak, of completing my degree and then, you know, moving on from there. So um, I wouldn't say that it was difficult. I definitely say just at my age, you know, I was 21, 22 years old, you know, definitely didn't have great direction Certainly. in terms of my own direction, not that mm -hmm. there weren't people willing to provide that. Um, but uh, I think it's... Looking, looking back on it now, I mean, I made the right decision, but... It definitely worked you know, out. <laughs> it, it worked out all right, you know? Are there things that you always wish you could do differently? Sure, but um, looking back now, I'm, I'm okay. And what did you get your degree in? So, that now you want to talk about changing some things. This is okay. a big one Let's thing hear I would have changed. Uh, so, I did go to Cape Fear Community College right okay. off the bat um, because they have an agreement with UNCW that says once you finish your associates there they have to take you at UNCW basically. Um, and uh, so uh, I majored in psychology. Okay. And I thought in my, you know, young adult brain that with a security clearance and a degree in psychology, I could find a job doing something. Um, but it turns out when I finished my degree, there weren't too many people hiring for that type of background, especially around here locally. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I definitely would have picked a different degree. It was a nice experience, but you know, uh, you know, as far as what that degree has done for me personally, it provided a stopgap before I moved on with my life is what it was. Certainly. Okay. I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> so how did, what was next after finishing school mm -hmm. to founding this company yeah so um after school like i said i didn't have luck finding a, a job right away mm -hmm. so i actually went back to florida and helped my brother my brother was running a professional mixed martial arts organization okay um and he had a really awesome thing going had a national television show all sorts That's of incredible. live professional sporting events wow. so i got great exposure in terms of you know running a business essentially i helped mm -hmm. him run that business so, you know, I really learned a lot from him, but I got a, you know, great exposure into media and marketing and, um, the whole, the whole nine yards running, you know, te producing television, all that stuff I got exposed to. And I'll say that I probably learned more there than I did <laughs> at the university, but, um, it was, um, called the art of fighting in Florida. And okay. it, was, it was cool. We had 16 professional events. We had some awesome, fantastic. If you like MMA, we had some awesome fights. Some of the best fighters in the world um, come in and it was just a great experience. That's incredible. How long did that last for? Um, I did that for a few years, I think three years. And 
um, our largest sponsor was Full Tilt Poker. So if you remember okay. back then, online poker was a big thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know what happened with the online poker thing. Something happened with the FBI or something. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened with those businesses. But that that valve got shut off, right? So that sponsor, those sponsorship dollars dried up. So it didn't. It ended up not being a very lucrative thing at okay. the end once once the 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 online poker sponsorships went away. Um, so I always knew I could get a job in as a contractor doing military intelligence. So that's what I went back and did. Took a job with a big company up oh. in DC uh, running a. So were you able to? Work, yep. Did a part of that, or did getting that job in part have anything to do with the clearance at least? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So actually, one of them came through. <laughs> yeah. So so the so the clearance. I mean, that's definitely worth it, right? I mean, certainly. If you have security clearance, it's you should be able to find a job somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely played a role. But then having that military background and imagery analysis and you know that really helped. Okay. So you you go from Florida to the D.C. area. Mm -hmm. And then how long are you there? Um, see, I'm there for about three and a half, four years. Okay. Somewhere around that amount of time. I'm working for a big defense company. And, um, you know, at that time, I really thought that they weren't taking great care of their people. And, like, mm -hmm. I learned in the military, I thought the leadership was really bad, mm -hmm. you know, just um, – at least my direct leadership, I thought was not great, mm -hmm. and um, so you know I would I reached a point where I wanted to start my own thing, to you Absolutely. know build something where that actually cares about the people and values the people doing the work a lot more, and uh, eventually that's what I did. That's something I've observed also, where sometimes in an organization that isn't being led the way. It, isn't being led very well that sometimes a poor leader can treat the hardest resource to cultivate as if it were disposable right. and typically that is the people the, the performers or the people that mm -hmm. it's comprised of right so I definitely observed that myself so is is that a, one of the catalysts that inspired you to create GOL absolutely okay absolutely you know, I I always kind of had an entrepreneurial mindset, you mm -hmm. know, um, but you know, at the time I could see where the technology was going. I could see where um, intelligence was at as an mm -hmm. intelligence community. I could kind of see where it was going, and um, I just I just knew I was going to start my own company at some point. So. While it was a catalyst, it wasn't the only thing, right? It was certainly it was definitely something that put some pep in your step when you're like, you know, what? I'm gonna show these people how how this should actually work. Can you get into the other things that you were confident that you were seeing the mm -hmm. the com intelligence community trend toward? If not, like yeah, so I I had a very specific skill set, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working this field called geospatial intelligence. Mm -hmm. Work with a lot of ISR assets, manned, non-manned. Um, and I could just see it proliferating throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I also knew that there was a very limited amount of people that actually knew how to do it well. Certainly. Right? So I knew that I was one of the few people that knew how to do it well. And the reason I knew that is because whenever we hired new people at my old job, they would all be like scratching their heads and they'd take two, three years to get to where I was at. Mm -hmm. So I knew that it was a limited there was a limited number of people on earth that really know this stuff well. So, so I could see where the technology was going. It's getting more pervasive in terms of intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. Um, and I knew that the, the, the experts in it were very limited. So that, that okay. was, you know, kind of a foundational, uh, aspect to my thought process. All right. So from this, You've, you've observed the writing on the wall and the direction that your field is trending toward. Your organization isn't quite being run the way you think would be ideal. How do you go from idea to action? Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's it definitely took some time mm -hmm. to um, 
put it into motion. And what I mean by that is to say, what do I actually, like, how do I actually make something out of nothing, right? Literally. How do you make right. something out of nothing? Um, so I started talking to people. Mm-hmm. And I just started floating ideas out there of what I wanted to do. And luckily enough, I, I ran into um, some people that really gave me great advice and great direction. Um, one of those is in my company today. His name is Jim Moore. He's our, okay. our chief growth officer. And, you know, um, I can't say it enough. I mean, just when you, you know good advice when you hear it. Certainly. And, and I followed that advice. And, um, you know, I took the, I took the, the steps necessary that were, you know, along that, along the veins of that advice. And of course it was right. So, um, also say that, um, you know, when, if we're just talking about starting a business in general, mm-hmm. for anyone starting a business, the first thing you should do is find the customer, right? Find one customer doesn't matter what it is because in order to get the action steps you need you need to have a customer that can help lead you there okay right because the customer has you know they have needs right certainly and um logically to to take the steps you need to get to that customer to get to their pocketbook the revenue whatever you want to call it to fix their problem, you need to have some, in my opinion, uh, a, a way to focus on that, right? Um, so, I mean, a customer will say, "Hey, um, you know, I have this, I have this need for someone to mow my lawn, right?" Yes. Well, well, okay. So I'm starting a lawn care company. Um, what are the things I need to do to mow your lawn? Well, I need to buy equipment. I need to make a schedule, you know, things like that. So um, what I'm saying is things become a lot more logical once you have a customer. Once it, once you have someone or an organization, a business, whatever, it is your customer to actually put things in motion, it makes more sense once you have that. Okay. Um, starting out with an idea of I want to start a Let's say, you know, company that sells, I don't know, funny hats, right? That's great. That's great. But is there a need for that funny hat? Find one person <laughs> that, that wants that funny hat first and then say, ha, what do you, what, why do you want this funny hat? Certainly. Yeah. I think there are very few people who could put that in the need category. Right, right. Well, I mean, it, it is, there's a demand for funny hats out there. There is some. Um, but you got to find that customer that's mm-hmm. going to buy your funny hat first before you start putting your business mm-hmm. plans into action, right? Because then you become the, the channel in which their needs are met. Absolutely. That's why finding your customer first is the most important thing when starting a business. Okay. So you got some great advice. More importantly, you executed on that great advice, mm-hmm. right? And your your company's up and running. It's formed, mm-hmm. and it's it's the ball is rolling. With that, uh, you we talked earlier, and you had mentioned contracting, mm-hmm. right? And I've heard people, some some entrepreneurs specifically get into businesses that deal with government contracting, right? What were some of the challenges you faced initially with learning more about it, learning how to, or more successfully bidding on contracts? Mm-hmm. Is that the correct verbiage? Sure. Yeah. Things so of that nature. So um, the government contract business mm-hmm. is a behemoth for anyone just coming off the street to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually see a lot of business owners in my space, successful ones, are people that used to be government contracting people mm-hmm. because they understand how it works. It's a it takes a while to understand the life cycle, the sales life cycle. It takes a, a while to understand the rules and where they apply and where they don't. Um, you know, decorum, things like that. I mean, it takes it takes a hot minute to understand that. 
Um, that is to say, I wouldn't dissuade anyone from doing it. Mm -hmm. Just takes it takes a second to learn. Um, and I'm always open to learn, you know. So I, I think uh, I I would say that the most important thing in this space, and it might be true in a lot of spaces, is developing good relationships with people and and being a stand-up person, being good to your word, and doing what you say you're going to do, and, and actually bust your tail to get to, to, to get to get the job done. Because at the end yeah. of the day, there's work that needs to be done, and if and if it's not being, if the needs of that customer aren't being met, then you know you're done. Mm -hmm. You got to find something else, and you're leaving them with the problem. That's right. That they thought was going to be solved. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there any for this is something that I hear come up fairly often for mm -hmm. transitioning veterans with an right. on, entrepreneurial interest. Is there anything you'd recommend someone considering getting into the defense contracting realm that they read, listen to, to, to educate themselves a bit more about it or or groups they immerse themselves in, whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, all that. So if you are interested in defense contracting, I definitely recommend listening to our podcast, the GOL podcast. We have some have some great episodes where we go over um, you know, specific things that you can do to, okay, to get yeah. started. Let's so plug it. <laughs> it's it's fine. Um is, is that the name of the channel? Yeah, it's just G, it's our okay. company podcast. So GOL podcast. Yeah, definitely check okay. that out. But um you know, more specifically, um, so we're in North Carolina. There's mm -hmm. things like the North Carolina, uh, I think it's called the Military Business Center. Okay. Um, so there's some great resources there. I think you'll only learn in this space by doing. Mm -hmm. So if you want to start your own company, you're coming out of the military, you want to start your own company, that's going to be very difficult. Certainly. Very difficult. Um, unless you have something there like some type of relationship built up and somebody knows who you are or maybe you're retiring um without that if you're just looking to start a company like mine coming out of the military i would say go work at one of these big companies go work at one of these big defense contractors okay. and spend time in their business development units understand their processes for how they develop business how they um, respond to request for information, how they actually build requirements from scratch, um, how the proposal process works, okay. you know, um, how their how the programs are actually managed, how you know the financials of it. You know, the a lot of these big companies, they have built in um, methods for learning these things. They have, you know, built in learning management systems where okay. you can go in and learn the, the infrastructure of the, of the companies. Jewel uh, also like we do that right, but we're not like some big behemoth where we can just hire a million people. Um, <clears throat> just go do it, and then start your company after that because you'll be miles ahead. Because in this space, it only takes one contract mm -hmm. for your entire life to be flip, <laughs> flipped upside down. So, in a good way, um, or in a bad way, it can okay. go. It can go very bad, or it can go very very okay. good. Um, but you know, I definitely go and do it first. Uh, so, I wasn't aware of that the bad way part. You don't ever hear about it, to be honest with you. Uh, if you pay close attention, you do. Well, yeah. Me, I don't ever hear about. It. Right, you hear, but you do hear about. So, like, let's say mm -hmm. Jedi, right? You've heard of this big giant Pentagon cloud contract? No. Let's hear about it. Okay. All, all right. right. Um, you'll have to forgive me. I don't have the exact nuances of the of it down, but I won't judge you for but a uh, long story short, mm -hmm. um, you know the Pentagon was looking to acquire a cloud service provider. Okay. Uh, so all the big companies, Amazon, I believe Google, Microsoft, they all go and bid on this thing, and you know it's a multi-billion-dollar cloud services contract. And I think it was Microsoft who won. I could be okay. wrong about that, um, but then Amazon protested it. Right. They like doing so. That. It, so that that mm -hmm. and and I gave you a very condensed story. So that story played out over years. Mm -hmm. So that that one acquisition alone took a really long time, and then they ended up. I believe they just canceled it 
and now they want a multi-cloud solution, right? So imagine yourself as a small business owner oh. looking, waiting for these things to come through. Mm -hmm. I mean, that takes two, three years for anything to actually come to fruition. Um, so it's a big, massive, I always say that the industry that I'm in is, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Okay. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Because you're, a lot of things that you think would take a month, take a year, and things that you think would take a year, take a decade. So just because that the other company contested the results, that's right. that stalled the process? Yeah, the government has um, regulations that they have to adhere by. Okay. And if there are issues in the acquisition, or at least perceived issues in the acquisition where mm -hmm. one company doesn't think that their proposal was evaluated properly, um, then they can do a legal protest. And then the, you know, there's various agencies that are responsible for, you know, running these pro protests. One of them is the Government Accountability Office. So they'll okay. come in and say, did you, did you run this acquisition the right way according to the rules and regulations? Did you look at each proposal carefully? Did you evaluate them properly? Did you inform, you know, each vendor properly? All that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it can it can be a lengthy, messy process at times. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times we've been bidding on stuff and things change or they move it or we win, but it gets protested or we lose, but it gets protested and then we're waiting and, and then, then we don't hear anything and then, it's and then it goes, grabs. right. And, okay. Or things get shuffled around and, it, and like I said, the process just takes forever. And it's one of the big reasons why I think as a whole, our federal acquisition regulations just need to be tossed out the window. I mean, we're, we're in an age of technology now mm -hmm. where things are evolving so rapidly, you know, the next um, development toolkit that comes out might have these, these features that exponentially increase what you can do with the next set of, you know, software tools, but it will take five years before the government can access that. So you know. that makes me wonder, or that gives me the question, what would you change about the process if, the, if you had the ability mm. to change something about the process? Yeah. So I've been asked this question before. You've got some reps in. So you're, <laughs> I assume you're familiar with it enough to have observed. It yeah. seems really inefficient. Or it's very inefficient. It's right. very inefficient and often ineffective. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you know, a lot of the rules are put in place in order to have a fair, competitive environment. Mm -hmm. And that's good. But it's almost like the you know, the medicine is worse than the disease, right? Okay. Because if the regulation is forcing such lengthy processes, if the regulation is reducing the amount of innovation that we're receiving as a, as a country, right, mm -hmm. U.S. government, then those are no good, in my opinion, because innovation should be the pinnacle. That should be the thing that the world's number one consumer, the United States government, mm -hmm. should look for innovation first, Innovation is what drives down costs. It what makes it's what makes our dollars go further. Mm -hmm. It's what makes four hundred dollar four K TVs possible. You know, it's it's things moving faster, better at a lower cost. Certainly. You know, so that should be the goal. You know, and if that was the goal, then you could formulate your acquisition regulations around innovation. Um, that would be a, a big thing I would change. Is just putting innovation as the the top thing. Okay. And then everything else would. Uh, have to fall around it. Is that going to happen? Uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, I, I doubt it will happen quickly. Yeah. As a taxpayer, <laughs> you should want it to happen though, because mm -hmm. you're taxed at a at a rate in there. And and do you even know what happens to that money? No. Well, a lot of it's tied up in this type of thing, mm -hmm. um, and it's just kind of wasted, right? It's wasted paying some government person to sit there for a year while their their main program is under protest or something like that, mm -hmm. or um, uh, purchasing systems that are suboptimal for their purposes. So, well, no, I appreciate you explaining that. It's definitely something I'm not very familiar with, and I imagine folks listening are certainly aware of the reality of mm -hmm. co government contracting, but maybe don't know much detail. So, no, right. that's, that's super helpful. 
So along yeah. with that, right, I'm also aware that you are an investor. Can you talk more about how you started with investing and, mm -hmm. and what you like to invest in? Yeah, so I've been buying stocks since I was 18, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've, I started with doing stocks, right? Um, okay. And I definitely made some big mistakes when I was younger because I was I was trying to pick winners, right? You're trying to pick okay. winners. And I would just say, don't ever try to pick winners. Uh, you, you know, no one can predict the future, no one. Um, In contrast to that though, <laughs> what would you say you pick now? In terms of like what stocks I would pick? Well, not by name, not necessarily mm -hmm. by, yeah. but in contrast to that, say, and maybe it's just yeah. trivial, but say, as opposed to trying to pick winners, I'm picking proven performers or whatever. Would you, is there a new thing that you would say you are picking now as you've changed how you invest, as you've gotten more experience? Yeah, so I definitely, you always hear about diversity, diversifying your portfolio. That's, mm -hmm. that's definitely the only thing proven to work over time is having a diversity of options. Mm -hmm. So if one thing fails and the other thing can uh, hopefully succeeds, um, so that's definitely important. You know, I don't ever want to put all my eggs in one basket um, in terms of picking winners and losers. Still do that a little bit, right? Okay. You still try to look at, you still try to look at certain companies that you think are um, pushing the boundaries. Like I, I was investing in Tesla a long time ago mm -hmm. and that's paid off very well to this point. Certainly. And um, I still look at them as a company that, you know, as far as pushing the boundaries, other markets that they can access and grow their 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 market share, I you know I would definitely recommend them. Um, but um, in terms of a an overall investing strategy, the way I approach it is mm -hmm. I can't predict the future. You can't predict the future. Let's diversify. You know, let's let's invest in a lot of different things. So I have stocks. I have businesses, obviously, um, um, that I run beyond just GOL mm -hmm. and there's other ones. Um, and uh, I have real estate, mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, crypto, a little bit of crypto. Definitely okay. recommend that because who knows where that's going to go, right? Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on crypto briefly yeah. though because typically when I s mm -hmm. speak to people about it, and granted I don't know a ton, but I do mm -hmm. think about it. I'm just not tech yeah. savvy. Yeah. So in 2017... I was on a deployment, ironically. So on this deployment, well, two things happened. One, I kept reading these articles about Bitcoin. Just hit, right. <laughs> it hit a record price of $2,800. $2,800, yeah. And I literally <laughs> spent three months trying to figure out how to make a Coinbase account. I couldn't figure it out. Right. By the time I got home, it was $17,000. Yep. But what I could figure out while I was on the deployment was how to buy stocks. So I remember buying Tesla at 300 ish dollars a share oh there you go and just hoping i didn't make a terrible decision no, you didn't you made a great decision <laughs> I, I know right now it's clear that it worked out but i remember thinking mm -hmm. please don't let this be a bad idea right i, I bought yeah. it was tesla amazon and google and it all worked just, out and i was just thinking this seems like a lot i hope this works out <laughs> well let's be real i mean you know technology <laughs> companies um mm -hmm. That's where the growth is at, you know, because Definitely. as technology become becomes online in different markets, mm -hmm. the, you know, those companies become more and more relevant. What yeah. what um, drew you to crypto? And yeah, so I don't have a I don't have a massive crypto portfolio at all, certainly. but it is a, it is a section mm -hmm. of what I have. Um, so a couple things. Uh, I I think I have a firm understanding of the technology behind crypto what what blockchain is all about um and i just see it as an alternative to the u.s dollar mm -hmm. uh, as a offset to inflation sort of like the way that precious metals has been for you know umpteen years um so i i definitely see it as a, as an offset for that um but the fact that you could have a little invested and in, and you know, you could see a hundred and seventy thousand percent gains. To me, that's a worth putting a section of certainly of 
uh, my portfolio in because maybe you have these hyperbolic type of gains, mm -hmm. but you know you never. Shiba Inu being an example. Yeah, sure. I mean, we'll get what's the other one? Dogecoin, all mm -hmm. these crazy coins. Um, so even, but even within crypto, I have a diversity of cryptos because, you know, I don't, I don't predict the future. One of these might take off, maybe not. But um, it's, it's interesting because I, I've spoken to a few people about it, and over the years, really within the last few decades, you've seen parallel systems be created. Mm -hmm. You've seen it with transportation and things like Uber and Lyft, with hospitality, right? Mm -hmm. with the number of short-term rental platforms. And now you're seeing it in finance with cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. where you have these parallel systems that increase the utility of something that we've all, as society, have come to be dependent on, essentially. right? But it increases the utility of it to more people more effectively right that car that you just had and parked in the driveway and cost you 300 bucks a month now it can make 300 bucks a month and other people can use it and not just wait for the cab to pass by and they stick their arm out in the street right, right. and watch the meter tick up at every light <laughs> or the hotel's booked up but now the house that would just be empty you can stay there mm -hmm. and it can pay for itself instead of kicking a property manager x amount of month and now this currency Right, that you can send 24-7, cost significantly less, and buy in essentially infinitely divisible portions, right, and store larger, and, and store amounts in ways that you find, say, more trustworthy, right. and or reasonably have a, a deflationary character to them by the way the countries currently handle currency. Right, right. So it's interesting to observe these things occur and in this condensed a time period. I I don't really know what to make of it. I just wonder if I'll look back when I'm old and just think, man, right. why couldn't you have figured that out sooner? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see. Yeah. I think, well, technology, um, you know, it doesn't, it, it compounds, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you have an innovation in medicine and robotics, mm -hmm. right, you maybe you can use both of them at the same time, right? Um, so you have a hyperbolic curve of um, technology. Uh, it doesn't just, it, it's like compound interest, right? Certainly. It gets, the more it grows, the better, right? And the more utility. So um, yeah, what you're saying is definitely, definitely true. A lot of well, the, the other thing that, well, to transition a bit, though, because I don't want to go too far off topic, because we'll save that for the three, the three things <laughs> you want to share for the world. But you have some unique insight because you're also on the board of directors with mm -hmm. the Veteran Business Collective. Yeah. All right. So with that unique insight that you have in your involvement, what are some of the things well, one, what drew you to be a part of the BBC? And then what are some of the things that you're excited about, right, that are in the works that maybe you can share? Yeah, so um, so the VBC is, is a great organization. I mean, partially what drew me to it was um, I've always felt like there was a a network of other veterans out there that were kind of younger, they're my age, right? These are, they're not the VFW, they're not the American Legion, mm -hmm. um, they're not necessarily wounded, um, you know, they're just normal people living their lives and they need a place to network and socialize too. And um, I think that's what the VBC, the, what, what sets the VBC apart from these other organizations, these other veterans organizations, which are all awesome, by the way, you know, DAV, um, like I mentioned, some of them, VFW, American Legion, all these organizations are great. They're kind of legacy. They've been around for a while, um, but they're not committed. They're committed to making sure veterans are taken care of, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But VBC is committed to helping veterans thrive, do better in mm -hmm. life because, um, because of the networks and connections we have with each other. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is what drew me to it was, you know, I look, I, I'm thankfully I'm 
healthy, relatively so, speaking. And, you know, I don't need, I have a lot of need for veteran resources necessarily. Um, but, you know, there's a great social aspect to it, right? Everybody needs to have friends um, and everybody needs to have a network that they can rely on. And who better than veterans? Like we're all kind of chummy with each other, you know, so, it doesn't matter what service you're in. Um, you know, everyone kind of gets it. A lot of us have, you know, been to all the fun locations and, and things like that. So that's what that's what drew drew me to it initially. And then what was the second part of that question? What are some of the things that you're looking forward to yeah. that are in the works? Yeah, so a couple of things. So um, one, we're, we're looking for ways to continue to help veterans thrive, period, mm -hmm. carte blanche, in their professional life and their business life. So we're looking at ways that we can um, incentivize membership uh, in, in VBC uh, by providing actual, legit um, business reasons for it, right? Mm -hmm. Professional reasons, so things like grants, um, things like, uh, you know, starting new companies. We see a lot of that already with people that start companies and then everything they do in that company comes from with, within our group mm -hmm. because, you know, who can you rely on more than, than your, your fellow veterans. So um, to me, that's really exciting is just providing more value to the, the members we have already. Mm -hmm. And then new members that come on board, they're going to have just more, more bang for their buck because they're actually going to get access to these, these cool things that Absolutely. we're going, we're doing. And um, we're starting to see a lot of interest just kind of percolate throughout um, different parts of the country. People that come out to an event, they're like, okay, I get it. Right. I get it. These are veterans that want to, succeed in life they don't want to just um have their basic needs met right they they're willing to work hard-working people and you know it's a great group of people that really support one another so um i'm really just looking forward to continuing that that growth i mean i think that's you know the the, the strong the growth the larger the network is the the stronger it becomes because each person is a, is a resource that's the way we see it mm -hmm. and um you know, I'm 100% I've already spent some time with uh, some of our members helping them start their businesses and, um, you know, get funding and uh, things like that. And I'm hoping that, you know, I can continue to be a resource like that. And then there's, I know for a fact, there's other people within the organization that are helping out as well. So that's excellent. Yeah. Looking forward to the things in the works as well. I definitely, I remember, what was it, late? late 2020 going to the first meeting mm -hmm. and thinking well this is good like a good turnout yeah a couple couple dozen people or so and just thinking well i hope this continues yeah and hats off to chase for being able to get that off the ground as well because i've tried to do similar things without the same right. level of success <laughs> right so definitely admire that that's awesome yeah um i think there's like a, like i said i think there's a big need for that right mm -hmm. is you know like people that go through college or whatever right they have their alumni association yep. right and, and they can kind of rely on them right and they kind of have that group we don't really have a veterans alumni right i mean mm -hmm. you know most people that are in the military didn't go to West Point or the Naval Academy and things like that. So um, it's good to have a group that's almost like a veterans alumni network that's dedicated to um, professional and business success. Like that's that's really awesome. So that is it. That is an excellent explanation. I can. I know that's something I really appreciate. There is a there is a difference that you can recognize. In a, in a group that's paid a price to action, that's mm -hmm. shaped who they are, right? There's this common thread, and maybe you can't just put a finger on it because people are, they're from different jobs within the mm -hmm. military, different branches, right. different decades. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, definitely, yeah. Right, but there's this common thread that you can, it's nearly tangible, mm -hmm. that you can have a common understanding with this group of people and it's definitely a great dynamic to be able to keep uh, for as long as you can hold on to it. So I can completely understand that. 
yeah, it's a, it's a shared experience. Everyone has that shared experience of serving their country. And um, I think you'll find most veterans, you know, actually valued that time mm -hmm. that they, they spent in service and it continues to be a part of them no matter what. I mean, you know, even that dumb 18 year old I was <laughs> uh, joining the military at the time, today I look back and I'm like, I'm really glad that I did that. You know, Certainly. not just because it, it you know, I was able to lead into a career, but to me, it, it means something to me now that I spent, you know, I spent that time serving my country when I had the chance to. Definitely. When I was young enough. It, it definitely creates this well-rounded, a, a more well-rounded understanding of the world we live in, right? That it's right. not all McDonald's and iPhones and power and water. But you've, right. you've seen some other places and other environments and, and extreme walks of life where you realize, one, how fortunate we are, and two, mm -hmm. honestly, it just how quickly things can change in some instances. So it's definitely something that allows you to be a little more grateful, have some gratitude. Yeah, and if you yeah. look at what's happening in Ukraine right now, which we haven't talked about yet, which is fine. Um, no worries. You know... We shouldn't have to wait for someone to invade our country mm -hmm. to have a combined sense of belonging mm -hmm. here, right? The United States is, by and large, I don't care what people say, it is the best country mm -hmm. on the face of the earth. It is the ideal that other countries should look to achieve because we have maximum freedom, right? The, the, we have the most freedom that you can have within the boundaries and rules of law. Um, and we value things like individual liberty. We value things like a justice system with due process. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not perfect, but it's as perfect as been built so far. And when you serve in the military, you you represent that, right? And you have the you have a shared sense of this is who we are. And you know, I, as as veterans, you don't have to wait for something bad to happen to have that kind of um, tied to your to your country because you've served so you understand that you know um, the good and the bad you know absolutely comes with it. it it's ironic that you say that because over the past I, mean, I think few years is an understatement but we'll say few years handful of years <laughs> the the country has definitely seemed more divided than ever <laughs> and it's interesting to see how such such a such an extreme event can bring people together, but I agree it it shouldn't take something like that. Right. Or it's it's unfortunate that it takes something like that for people but, to. So I'd like I'd like to challenge that a little bit. Yeah. Though. I mean, this is a country that went through a civil war. Mm -hmm. So, are we now divided more than we were during the civil war? I don't think so. I I think what we what we have Great. are different different ways to access mm -hmm. the people yelling on each side. Mm -hmm. So we we have this perception that we're all divided. But I just don't think it's that's really the case. I don't think it's more than it's ever been. You know what? I think I, I think today we are actually more united than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. We just get into our tribal silos of information mm -hmm. and then we have technology to make sure that we are fed a consistent mm -hmm. uh, meal of left or right sided um, information. So uh, I think you're right. I think it's a misperception. Yeah. You saying that and, and me applying some objective thought to it, I, I agree. I think there's a majority of people who either don't feel that strongly about a number of things or are fairly objective about right. reality. And then there's a minority on both ends that have an increased ability to proliferate their opinion right. to the rest of the world who didn't yeah. ask for it. Yeah. So, so yeah. it seems I mean, like you know, there's a, a thousand match. a thousand people on Twitter mm -hmm. sounds like a lot of people, but it's not a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's just a thousand people that are angry about something, mm -hmm. or maybe they're not even angry. They're maybe they're just trolls. You know, mm -hmm. like there's a thousand people trolling X Y Z company to cancel this person. You know, it's just it's all about perspective and looking at fair enough history and saying is this really the case? It actually gets into one of my points there about. My second, let's my second let's thing. Let's transition then. If you want to transition. So, so, yep. Yeah, so 
three things that you would just like to share with the world? Yeah, so I, I think just to continue with what we were talking mm-hmm. about, the second thing that I had there was skepticism is healthy, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think really COVID hit on this perfectly. We saw how many things were being put out in the media, even being put out by the government mm-hmm. that are now laughable, right? Um, the whole, I remember when Trump said that, you know, this thing escaped from a lab in Wuhan and, you know, I'm not a super huge right or left person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that sounds kind of silly. Mm-hmm. But now you look at it, you're like, <laughs> that guy was right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> all the things about masking and stuff. I think, you know, over time we'll find out what the real deal was. But I think um, being skeptical about things that we're not certain of mm-hmm. is healthy. And, and say, do we actually think through these issues? And I think part of that is understanding that nuance matters. Right? Nuance, you know, slogans are great, but understanding the secondary and tertiary effects of things are is critical to understanding the way the world actually works, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun to say defund the pol- police, but what are the things the, that fall from that? The reality is for it's sure not that simple. It's not that mm-hmm. simple. It's it it's a it's a catchphrase. Um, and now we see that that's that was not a great idea, right? It's not mm-hmm. working out anywhere. Um, so I just think skepticism is healthy. So when anytime you see something and you're not a certain of it, ask yourself: Is this real? Is this true? Is this actually the way that it works? Um, and it's there's nothing wrong with saying you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's um, there's a lot of things like podcasts right around this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. This didn't exist 20 years ago, right? Um, where people can give their opinions on all sorts of different things. Um, so a lot of times people are asked, like the last LeBron James, what he thinks about the invasion of Ukraine, but <laughs> does it matter what LeBron James thinks? I mean, it does to an extent. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say that um, what someone like him thinks doesn't matter, but well, it's not his core expertise. And I, if I hear LeBron yes. James or Cardi B saying something, I might say, is this is this the way that I feel? Is this actual? Is this legit? I, well, I thought about something along this mm-hmm. line before, and a lot of times when someone demonstrates that they're exceptionally good at something, yes, people have an interest in in their opinion on a number of things mm-hmm. that they are not exceptionally good at That's or right. informed in. I am probably one of the people that don't have an interest unless you are also exceptionally good mm-hmm. or informed with regard to those things also. Right. right. But I think that's a big part of it. Right. But even those people, mm-hmm. even when they say something, skepticism is still healthy in that, in Absolutely. that instance. Whether it's LeBron James or Anthony Fauci, mm-hmm. you still need to have a, a healthy skepticism. Definitely. You know, I, I remember when, when this whole thing with masks was starting, my first thought was like, how big are the holes in the mask versus the size of the virus? Mm-hmm. Like, this is just common sense thought process here. Um, I still don't really know the answer to that. But my, my, my thought process was, if the virus is smaller than the holes in the mask, then the masks are useless, mm-hmm. right? I mean, um, my other thought was, what does any living organism do with more time? Right. It evolves. So this strategy seems to be the opposite of what would work. Mm-hmm. That was the first thought I had with the just wait it out. It's like these things right. die of loneliness or something. They <laughs> hang out in the house with you. It goes away. Like uh, it doesn't quite add up. Right. I. It's weird. I remember the whole thing playing out. The two weeks turning into six weeks. I'm yeah. a realtor. Right. So after about 30 days, people got tired of video showings, and you yeah. just it was like, all right, we're all gonna risk it because <laughs> yeah. we need to get paid, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> but I remember thinking about this. Just this doesn't make sense. Are we like what are we waiting to happen? Right. Realistically, it seems like we would just all be in our house, and then the numbers will go down, and then we'll go outside, and then we'll the numbers up. will go up. <laughs> yeah. But now you've just given more time for 
whatever this is to fester in everyone's individual yeah. environment, and then you're going to come up with mutations. Like that's what I reasonably assumed. Right. Granted, I don't know the life cycle for something mutating or evolving, right. but it seemed inevitable. It was kind of mm-hmm. strange to me. So it's interesting you bring that up because I definitely thought something similar. That these things don't make sense, even from expert or not. Right. <laughs> this doesn't add I think, up. To I me. think the the solution, at least from a government perspective, should always be let people make their own mm-hmm. decisions. I mean, for the most part, that's the way to go, right? Mm-hmm. That's people, especially in this country where we value things like individual liberty, let people make their own decision. Mm-hmm. You know, don't force them to wear a mask or a, get a vaccine or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's not what this country stands for. We stand for individual liberty. We want people to make their own choices, Certainly. good or bad, right? And the, and um, that's up to them, right? That's freedom. That's what freedom is all about. Okay, so my so so that was my second one with skepticism is healthy. Okay, uh, my first one actually is probably the best one, which Let's is hear it. everyone poops. Okay, everyone poops, and when I say everyone, I mean everyone in history poops. Mm-hmm. So that means Abraham Lincoln, he's a pooper. <laughs> George Washington, the guy pooped all the time. Um, no, but the the more serious part to that is that we're all humans, mm-hmm. we're all people, we all make mistakes, we all have natural <laughs> bodily functions that we have to take care of, we all have you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs to take care of. Um, and, and there's a few ways you can think about this, right? One is, you know, to me, thinking about what we deal with as humans in terms of battling things like addiction, um, poor health, uh, bad upbringing and things like that. To me, when I when I think about our condition as humans, and then I see someone be successful in something, mm-hmm. that is amazing, right? And we should celebrate that. Like that is, this person was grew up in the ghetto and they were beat as a child, and that here they are. They started a business and they're successful. Like that's amazing. Like that that to me makes life more interesting. Right. When you think about it from a human perspective, but also it should embolden people to actually make, um, you know, courageous decisions in their life. Right. Mm -hmm. Go talk to that person that you're afraid to talk to because that person poops. Mm -hmm. Right. That person is going to have to take a break at some point, (laughs) you know, and then how intimidating are there? Are they when they're pooping? If you're if you're getting ready to do a uh, an interview with someone, you know, you can always think about that, right? This person's going to have to take <laughs> crap at some point. Um, it, it's just an interesting way to think about, um, you know, humans and and the fact that we're all we all have flaws, and um, you know, it's, it it should also impose some humility, you know, because mm-hmm. you got to poop too, and uh, you know, I just think it's an interesting way to to frame that. So that's that was the first one I wrote down. And then the third one was nothing is out of reach. And what do I mean by that is I remember when I was, I mean, I want to say it was eight or nine or something like that. And I had this idea for this device that you could you can make phone calls on, but um, it, it ran off of advertisements and I had this picture and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, this, this is going to be free phone services. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was, you know, thinking about that, looking back at it, I was like, that was a smartphone really is what it was. Um, you know, the ideas that we have are really special and spectacular. And that if you think that you can't achieve it, then you won't. Right. Mm-hmm. If you say, ah, that's not possible, then you won't take the steps necessary. But I really do believe that there's something strong about believing that nothing that you perceive is out of reach as long as you can imagine it. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, I talked earlier about finding that customer and making those logical steps to get to that customer. Well, it's the same way with anything. I think finding finding that that end state, right, okay. and building up that logical bridge to get there is you know, means that nothing that we can create with our minds is out of reach. I mean, look at look at what SpaceX is doing. I mean, this is crazy. It's, seriously, it's. I mean, that's it, insane. Unbelievably 
impressive. I mean, why, why didn't anyone think to reuse the rockets? Hello? I mean, we're spending millions of dollars and then we just throw them in the trash, mm -hmm. like disposable plastic cups. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, look at, you know, self-driving cars, look at um, Amazon Web Services. I mean, these are really amazing things that somebody just thought, hey, would it be cool if there was a cloud thing and all this stuff plugged in there and you could run your apps off of it. Somebody just thought of that. So I really think that, you know, if if you can think of something, if you can imagine it, that there is a way to get there. Um, no matter how crazy you think it is, you know, we're all confined to these human brains mm -hmm. and we're not going to come up with anything that's outside of reach. I really believe that. I do as well. I do as well. I that is something I've thought about before where a lot of these individuals have either refined or created things that have benefited humanity permanently from its point of creation forward. And these things tend to be and these people who have done this tend to be some of the most successful or the wealthiest or well-known people in the world. So it's very interesting to see that in that correlation. Mm -hmm. I know that most people don't often think of it in that aspect, but it's definitely something that I've given thought to. And all those people that you mentioned, mm -hmm. they all poop. So remember That's that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, Each one of them. Nice. That's a perfect way to wrap this thing up. <laughs> Why? Well, I appreciate you talking with me today. Mm -hmm. And again, this is Nick Smith, founder and CEO of GeoAl. I appreciate your time. I'm Avery Washington. This is the VBC Podcast. Thanks for checking out the VBC Podcast. 